When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, this is Adam from Team Overdrive, and welcome to episode 32 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Today's episode is an interview with author Dawn Kurtagich, who I got to meet at the American Library Association summer meetings in Orlando a few weeks back. Dawn is absolutely fascinating. Uh, Her most recent book, And the Trees Crept In, is now available for libraries to add and for our readers to go in and and discover and borrow. Uh, It's unlike anything I've ever read. It's dark and creepy and mysterious and thrilling and slow burning and uncomfortable in the most positive way I can possibly say. Uh, Dawn, as you're listening to this podcast, you will learn that she is incredibly positive and outgoing and cheerful and you'll actually start to wonder how someone could write the books that she does uh, while having such an amazing attitude. It it almost doesn't match, but it's really a nice uh, little unique aspect of her life that I think you will really enjoy. Uh, She was wonderful. We talked for about a half hour before I even started recording the podcast. Uh, We became very fast friends and I finally had to tell her to stop talking so that I could get the recording going. Um, Again, her book is called And the Trees Crept In. You can go borrow and download this title now. Uh, If you have any questions for us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else on social media. You can also email Jill and myself at feedback at overdrive.com. We read all of those and respond to everyone that we can. Also, if you do like what you're hearing, if you're enjoying the recommendations that we're offering and all the interviews that we're doing, go into iTunes and maybe give us a rating. It takes about five seconds and it really helps us. It kind of moves us up the ladder and people can find our podcast more easily. So Again, I hope you really enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast with our interview with Dawn Kurtagich. She's absolutely wonderful, and I couldn't be happier that I can now call her a friend. Hi, everyone. This is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I am joined by Dawn Kurtagich, who frankly has... uh, a short bio that I love so much that I'm really just going to read it to people briefly from your website. So Dawn Kurtagich is a young writer of psychologically sinister fiction, and she has a dark and twisted imagination. She lives in Wales, an ancient and mountainous country within the UK, go to England's Midlands, and turn left towards the sea. Her latest novel, And the Trees Trees Crept In, is now available for readers to purchase and borrow from their library. Uh, Dawn... Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I loved how you read that. Uh, well, I, I literally, I, I like to normally <laughs> write introductions about the authors that I'm going to interview, but I just read yours and I was like, I can't do better than that. So I'm just going to go with what you had already. I do love the turn less towards the sea thing was my agent. She wrote that and I just thought, you are a genius. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> all right. I can't possibly fathom trying to explain this book to our listeners without giving away something that I shouldn't and I don't want to make you angry off the top so can you maybe maybe give an introduction to and the trees crept in for our listeners I can do well um, it's a psychological horror Uh, it follows the story of Scylla Daniels who's 17 
she's got a younger sister called Nori who is mute, doesn't speak um, she's, got, she's got a disability she's got an arm that doesn't really work it's all crooked and skew and she's got broken teeth, broken you know, rotting teeth in her mouth and it's all the product of her violently alcoholic father who mm-hmm. is very abusive so Scylla takes it upon herself to escape from the situation yeah. so she packs a bag she sneaks out at night leaving her, you know, her father, her abusive father and her weak willed mother behind and she decides, right, okay, we're heading for the countryside. We're going to stay with our aunt, who we've never met, but we know is there. Mm-hmm. So they go to her mansion, her manor in the, in the woods, and um, they think they're safe when they arrive. Um, but, you know, for a while, things are like, she's, you know, this is, how it, this is how it feels to be loved. This is how it feels to be safe. Right. I've never had this before, and I'm so glad that I've taken Nori from this horrible situation, except her aunt, who has always been a little odd anyway, finally just snaps she goes up into the attic one day and she doesn't come down again and they are 70 miles from the nearest town, they are completely cut off, Um, the food is running out they are literally starving in this house and Scylla feels the burden of this, she's taken her sister from an abusive household only to have her starve to death in this this manor house Uh, so she's desperately digging in in the garden one day trying to get something to grow and she looks up and she sees that the trees on the perimeter in the distance are closer than they were the day before mm-hmm. and every day she comes outside and they're closer and closer and closer they're just encroaching on the manor and you know she has no idea how this could possibly be happening only that it is and in this manor house this silent manor house um, her sister who doesn't speak starts playing with a man in the basement that only she can see and she starts talking and as the woods are you know, approaching the house, they're bringing with them something that dwells in the trees themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the basic premise of the story. Um, it's, it's, it's a puzzle book. If, if anyone's read my, my debut, The Dead House, um, you'll know that I love playing with red herrings. Mm-hmm. I love playing with unreliable narrators. And I'm a big fan of the twist ending. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are. Oh, I, but as you were describing this book, I was just like going through the emotions that I had while I was reading it again. Everyone listening to this, sincerely, this book, it stuck with me like I, I can't even tell you. It's so uncomfortable in the best way possible okay. and <laughs> creepy and like slow burning, but it's just like every Thank single you. page, something I read something in this that I was just like, that, wait, what? It, <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that actually about the every page I, I met with so many librarians today we had a sort of speed dating thing where you move mm-hmm. around the tables and I kept saying to them look I know that you are fast readers you just by nature are but I beg you if you read this book please read it slowly yes um, the first page one of the first pages in the book is there is a reason for everything and there, there is everything that's there it, it serves a purpose and you kind of have to it's like a puzzle you have to mm-hmm. solve you have to look for the clues and it's not even just what you've written it's the way that the book is set up with the different fonts and the different like excerpts from other books and these different notes that they write and then they burn I just I'm everyone can't see my hand gestures because this is a (laughs) podcast but like I'm trying to describe I just we're gonna keep talking but read this book I I can't stress (laughs) this enough this is and I'm not saying this because you're in front of me. This is the best book I've read in so, so oh, thank long. Thank you so it's, much. I, so, I'm so thrilled that you, you noticed, you know, that side of it. Well, Absolutely thrilled. It's just, I, it's so, admittedly it is. It, you deal with all of these creepy things and this uncomfortable stuff, but you're such a 
bubbly and wonderful <laughs> and outgoing person. So where does your fascination come from with all of this kind of the darkness? And You know, I've been thinking about this, and I think I, I have a sort of multi-layered answer. I think, number one, I am a scaredy cat. So everything alarms that. me. I don't I believe think that. I totally am. I like you know you have these fantasy authors and they have these big imaginations and they have these huge worlds and they dream up these things from their heads. For me, I'm like just going up to st- up the stairs to bed and I think, oh my god, something's gonna grab my leg, or <laughs> I have to go check the mailbox. And I'm like, no, something's in the shadows. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just um, I alarm myself quite a lot. So I think that's the first element. The second was um, I moved around a lot as a child. Um, I was with my mother. She um, she did so many worlds she was an expatriate she was in a missionary for a while so I, I grew up in a lot of areas and some of them were just for, I was in the bush for a while for example yeah. and you these experiences leave an impact on you they're amazing experiences mm-hmm. but they're there are scary experiences yeah. and um, because of that I think I just have a fascination with darker topics mm-hmm. and it's partly the Pandora's box thing like no oh I touched it <laughs> <laughs> well and you also mentioned before we started recording that your first book came from a little bit of a darker yes. situation. Would you mind sharing that with our Absolutely. Um, I wrote The Dead House, which is my debut. Um, I started writing it when I was very sick. I was in liver failure. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdly, they still kind of don't know what happened with my body, but they assume some kind of genetic thing. I just one day was okay, and then I just I went into liver failure, and I was you know I, I was listed for a transplant. They were telling me, look, it's unlikely that you'll be transplanted before 29 or 30 months. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wouldn't live that long, and I reached a place where I just I had fully accepted that I was going to die. I lost um, just every. I was broken in every way a person can be, right. except for, like, I had my husband. He was my rock. Mm-hmm. So when I was writing The Dead House, I, I had to go to a very dark place to write it. Um, a member of my family has DID, mm-hmm. and because it's triggered by trauma, it was acting up yeah. because of the trauma of me dying, Absolutely. possibly. So these things kind of came together. The DID is about loss of parts of your day, loss of identity, a lot of alters in DID people are told, you know, that they're alters again. So, and they're like, no, no, like I'm real. I'm a real person. Right. And to feel like you're losing yourself, that you're not real, mm-hmm. um, coupled with me feeling like, okay, if I get transplanted, I'm losing an organ. I'm getting someone else's. Right. Someone has to die so that I can live. It was a very darkly moral place. I had to really come to terms with that in my mind. Yeah. And that's where the dead house came from. Mm-hmm. So you've got this character who, again, is broken in every way you can be. And so when I started the next book, I knew, if, before I knew anything else, I knew that I wanted it to be a more uplifting type of horror, if that's right. possible. Yeah. More redemptive, right? Absolutely. So I still wanted to scare people and creep people out because I just love doing that. Yeah. Job well done, by the way. I just knew that um, I set myself the challenge of writing a romance horror initially. I thought, yeah. well, let's put this together. Like, romance with a horror. This sounds interesting. Can we do it? And to some extent, I, exceed, I succeeded, but it really ended up being a love story between sisters. And that, in that way, it's similar to The Dead House, but in every other way, they're like polar opposites. Yeah. And so, when you have this story, I'm trying to find ways to unpack this without giving anything away. <laughs> so, Obviously, like you said, you have kind of narrators you can't trust, and there's sort of circular storylines in the book, and there's deliberately confusing things and lies and stuff that's all in this book. 
how did you, I don't want to be blunt and say, how did you write this? But like, did, is this type of a story where you had a, like a storyboard and you were moving note cards around? It's like, I can't imagine going from point A to point B in this book and just being like, and I'm done. <laughs> yes. I, I, I know. It's, um, I have to be honest, this book was tough for me to write. Mm-hmm. I think I had a little bit of second book syndrome where you're like, oh my goodness, I've written this big book and, and people have responded so well kind of am I a fluke can I do it again um, and also because I had given myself this weird challenge where I was like oh romance horror yay um, <laughs> so when it came to the, the physical side of writing it I knew what I wanted to happen but it evolved a lot as I was writing mm-hmm. so by nature I prefer to pants more than yeah. a lot uh, when I wrote The Dead House I wrote it in Scrivener and I ended up with like 700 tabs on the left oh. and I was like right now let's see how we put this together <laughs> and it was like building a puzzle with And the Trees Crept In it was more deliberate Mm -hmm. because I knew that I was writing ergodic fiction so ergodic fiction is the way the words are laid out on the page the the artwork that accompanies it 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 affects the psychological reading of how a reader interprets the story and how the reader experiences it because I wanted to do that I had to be a lot more Mm self-conscious so writing it I wrote it in layers so I'd write a little bit of the book then go back edit and rewrite part of it and then go over the next section so it was a wave of successive things throughout Mm -hmm. the project I did write a few scenes out of order I wrote the discovery scene um, quite soon because I I had the ending of the book I knew the ending first so I almost worked backwards Mm -hmm. and I think that's partly why it was so difficult because then I'm working waves but I'm like okay I know where I'm going but how do I get there what's the point you know what is the point of this why would anyone want to pick it up you know and uh, for me, and again, we talked about this before we started recording, but my favorite books are the stories that stay with you. After you read that last chapter, and y- you kind of said it before we started recording, it's like, am I? what is happening? Yes, am I what here? what is reality? And so, especially <laughs> when it comes to psychological thrillers, I, I think those ones that really stay with you are the ones that you're just like, what did I just read? What just happened? So, for you, what, what makes a thriller or a mystery or a horror book unique? Like, what, what has to happen in a book for you to remember it? Personally, it has to give me a sense of unreality. And that sounds very vague, but if it makes me question the nature of reality, and that's a very big topic, um, then it will stick with me. If it makes me really think um, my sort of trigger book or my, my golden book is The House of Leaves. And that's a story where, again, it's ergodic fiction and it's anyone who it's so funny if you walk into a room and you ask people who have read this book you know immediately who has because they always go oh my gosh I know right <laughs> and you make this connection and they're like I know I understand you don't even have to I say any it. words you don't and you're like yeah and yeah. they're like yeah I you know, know right yes. totally yeah so that for me was a book that stuck with me because I I exited this book I really honestly felt like I'd fallen into it I extricated myself from it closed the page and literally touched the things around me. Yeah. I was shivering and I was like, okay, what is real? How do I know? You know, what I'm perceiving is that reality. Like, what is possible? So for me, it's it's a very broad scope, but it's something that makes me think, oh, I'm not so sure about the reality that I'm perceiving anymore. And I, again... I just want to point out, you wrote one of those books with I'm and the trees so kept in. I'm so thankful it's, that you said that. It's just, it's like I said, beautiful and haunting, and I'm going to run out of adjectives before we get done talking. But <laughs> you. uh, in your bio, you mentioned that you love 
colors with a blinding passion. Yes. Another amazing thing in your biography. <laughs> um, so does this go into your writing? Because in And the Trees Crept In, there's definitely, at least in my mind, there's some importance with color. Always. Color for me is just life. Um, it, it, it's coupled with scent, actually. I remember reading um, Perfume by Patrick Suskind. Yes. And that was the first time that I perceived smell. Like, mm-hmm. And that became so important to me. With the colors, it was always with me. I've always, always responded to color, but instinctively, and I can't explain why. I have a really... I have OCD, and... Um, I will so for example Wednesdays are yellow days I can't absolutely. tell you why I no, can't tell no you they why. are you're absolutely they right are of course they're a yellow days. day yeah. exactly and the number three three for me is a yellow number sure um, and so when I start writing these books I immediately have a colour assigned in my head mm-hmm. so And the Trees Crept In is a green book for me um, mm-hmm. it's like it, everything is saturated with green there yeah. are references to green mm-hmm. um, I talk about the blush of the red on the apple yep. and that is very specific because it's like a little bit of life mm-hmm. you know it's like you've got this toxic thing a little bit of life those apples um, yes I so The Dead House for me was my orange book mm-hmm. um, and even though it's a very dark book it just it, it's something I haven't thought actively about in terms of why this happens mm-hmm. it just distinctively happens that the colours are a specific thing so do you think you have like a subconscious like I'm gonna make like a Roy G. Biv of books? You have like an idea oh, yes. to make like a rainbow. I of would books? love to write a rainbow book. Okay. The book I'm working on at the moment is a brown book, um, and yeah, I think I'd love that. I would love to write a rainbow book. I can't. I've not encountered an idea that feels purple or red uh-huh. to me. Um, maybe if I write a passionate love story. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to break interview 101 rules and ask you, do you have a favorite color? I do. Um, I love green and yellow. Um, I used to say that green was my favorite color, like a really beautiful forest green, apple yeah. green, that kind of thing. Um, but lately I respond really well to yellow. This is as an interesting side fact, <laughs> which I'm full of these things. Please keep, yellow keep is Yellow is the only color that a human looks at that triggers serotonin release. Really? Yeah. So that's why when you view yellow, you feel happy mm-hmm. because it's the only color on the spectrum that actually has a physiological response from your body. So when you look at apple, uh, sorry, a, a yellow color, like I'm looking at this yellow. I was gonna say you guys can't see her, you. but she's literally looking at a yellow side. Exactly. And I picked up, I picked up the you yellow. You did. You picked up a yellow pin. Exactly. Yeah. It's because it triggers, it triggers the serotonin release. So, um, for example, I arrange my bookcases by rainbow color. I can never find the book I want to find, but Irrelevant. it makes it me looks, so happy yeah. to look at it. So yeah, color <laughs> is 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 just everything. Speaking of yellow, you have. First off, an amazing YouTube channel. And we need to talk about Happy Banana, which is yellow. So can you just tell our listeners? This is something that happened so organically. So again, going back to when I was sick, my Mm -hmm. husband, I had been in bed for 13 months or so. And my husband wanted to get me out of the house to show me that there was a world, Mm -hmm. you know, that there was still life. Right. Um, And he took me to this fun fair. And um, I went on a ride and I felt like this fragile, tiny, tiny person. And it was, it just, it was terrifying to me. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go win you like a toy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go play this game and I'm going to go win you like a giant teddy. So we went to this and he won, but he won this tiny stuffed yellow banana with a ridiculously smiley face on it. It's so happy. And the second I looked at this banana... I just felt instantly happy. It was it was such a significant thing for me. I really was in such a dark place. I, like I said, I honestly had just accepted I was going to die. I was like, there's nothing left for me right. here. 
but he gave me this banana and he gave it to me with such love and just the instant I looked at it again I just instantly happy so the happy banana doesn't have to be a banana for right. me it's this stuffed banana but it's something in your life that you look at it and it instantly triggers a happy thought it take you to a happy place there's so many things that make people anxious and sad and depressed and if there's an object just yeah. something that can trigger that for you so I always say like a happy banana could be anything it could be a lucky pair of socks it, ha- it could be you know it could be a person but it has to have that effect you just look at it and you're like oh my gosh everything's amazing yeah and I think that's such an amazing outlook on life just so yeah. there's always just having something that no matter how stressed out you are you can look at it and be like there is good in this world exactly. and things that will make me happy even if I'm stressed out right now. So, I, that And if you can hug your happy banana so much the better. It helps. You could use a real banana, but it probably wouldn't be your happy banana and if, for very long. Well, then it also wouldn't stay yellow for exactly, very long. Exactly, exactly. So, well, your happy whole. banana could be any color you like, but so long as it right. has this deep meaning for you. Right. Well, I'm just saying, if you're going to use a real banana <laughs> yeah, exactly. and you're going to go with the fact that it's it yellow... It might not last very no, long. Not very no, long. exactly. Uh, <laughs> I call my readers the happy bananas, actually, because they make me so happy. <laughs> so I've got oh. a newsletter on my thing and it's called little happy bananas so all my readers are like happy bananas because just talking to them and knowing that they're there it just makes me instantly happy that is so wonderful (laughs) Um, okay so given that overdrive is a library company we work libraries every day i always love asking authors do you have like a favorite or a first memory of a library growing up or one that you like now just basically like a nice thought that you have see i was okay so i grew up in africa and i because i traveled so much I didn't actually have the experience of going to libraries Mm -hmm. my mother is a huge huge book addict she writes she reads she's got she's a bibliophile so her home library was my library Mm -hmm. and everywhere we went we moved with the books Um, so my first experiences were going through all of the books that she had um, and I was a very reluctant reader. I'm dyslexic, mm-hmm. and I own. I oh gosh, my mother would force me to read to her every day after school, yeah. and I honestly thought she was trying to torture me because I just could <laughs> not do it. I would cry and I'd protest and I would do anything mm-hmm. not to do this. But she persisted, and one day she brought home a book that I just clicked with. It took me a long time to read it, but I finished it. Mm-hmm. And through that, it exposed me to this huge world of books and libraries and people who love stories. Yeah. But I didn't have a significant upbringing with libraries and that makes me very sad Um, I I wish that I had when I was older and I came to the UK my my family's British but when I came back to the UK um, I used to go to the local library after school every single day it was such a unique experience for me and uh, it was it almost was a spiritual thing to me I would get off the bus from school and then I would take this long walk to the library and I would literally just sit there and read for hours then go home when it was black snowing and (laughs) And that was my first experience of libraries, and I was probably about 14 mm-hmm. only when this happened. What, so even though were, it was late, uh, yeah. That's like, what were some of the books that you read when you were when you did discover libraries? So, what were some of the things you checked out? Usually, it was like this, the um, the Goosebumps books or the Fear Street books. Yes, absolutely. Um, I went through a phase of reading um, Sweet Valley High, and yeah. then our, um, our last interview that I had, Sweet the exact Valley. same thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And also, like there was the Babysitters things. I was interested in them for short short amount of time I am I was obsessed with the Animorphs books those were the books that my mother brought home and I read I read absolutely and I remember meeting uh, Michael Grant Uh, sadly I haven't met his wife but I remember reading him meeting him and saying you know you are the reason I'm here you that book is the only reason my life is this rich and it was only books that could have given me this I can't imagine life without that so I used to read those kinds of things 
Do you have, I'm just curious, do you have a favorite of the Goosebumps books? Because I think I, we're around the same like age, we have the same experiences, so I'm I curious. love the Slappy the Clown one, the nightmare, the Light of the Living Dummy. I could not, I was so scared of that doll. Uh, yeah. Have you seen the new Goosebumps I film? I have, yeah. Freaking Slappy, I was like, oh, childhood fear. I can't believe someone who writes horror books has like the same fears as I do, but you're, you're actually able to like tap, maybe this was my calling is to write about this stuff. You That's should. terrifying. If I'm, you like write horror, I'll read that. Oh my gosh. It just <laughs> blows my mind. Yeah, I, I always loved um, kind of the same ones, but the Tower of Terror always messed with me. I don't know me. if I saw I think it was one. actually, it was in like the, I think the, the London Tower I think was what they used as like the main central piece for it was I still have so many of my original mm-hmm. goosebumps and they're just old and faded yeah but I just I love them yeah they, and those were some of those books where I had a, my best friend growing up he hated reading but yeah. he would read every single goosebumps book and his yes. mom was always like they're questionable material, I guess, but I mean, he's reading books, so I want to take them away. Exactly. Well, in my in my well, when I was at school, that was kind of this like taboo thing. Yeah. So it'd be like, oh my gosh, read this book, and you yeah. pass it under the table. Exactly. And There's the something about that like, like sneaky, it. that like yes. sneaky ability. Well, it's that forbidden thing again, right? right? So mm-hmm. like, you know. Tell a kid I can't do read this it. sneaky thing. Yeah, tell a kid you can't read a book. He's and absolutely going absolutely. every time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like that too. You tell me like, no, this is not fair. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, it, it is. is. Oh. Um, all right, so I like to end all of our podcast interviews with what I call the nerd nine. Go for I'm a it. dork and I love alliteration. <laughs> so first one, uh, you're not allowed to do a lot of thought into these. He's okay, got a okay. rapid fire. Okay. So get focused. You ready? Okay. Okay. What's the last book you read? Oh, my gosh. What is the last book I read? I just finished it. Dawn, switch on. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, sit oh, here yes. and watch. It was uh, The Foretelling by Alice Hoffman. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Favorite place to read? In bed. <laughs> I, no, that works. Uh, guilty pleasure? I always go with, like, I'm, I look at puppies on Instagram nonstop. Oh, okay. My guilty pleasure is um, historical erotic fiction. Nice. You have been all over the world, but one place that you would want to travel that you haven't yet been to the Faroe Islands favorite holiday Halloween and Christmas I I actually knew you were going to say Halloween (laughs) so wait Halloween and Christmas so are you a Nightmare Before Christmas fan oh my gosh every single year I watch that (sighs) I feel like we're best friends now by the way this is Halloween this is Halloween alright so the favorite movie Uh, actually yeah I love Nightmare Before Christmas Christmas. you and I are fast friends Uh, cats or dogs cats favorite food I love Japanese food. Wagamama's in the UK is like a Japanese restaurant. I love it. Do you, like sushi or do you have something? No, I'm not allowed to eat sushi because of the liver trust. Uh, but it's, right. it'll be like udon noodles yeah. and the parcels and things like that. And then Ginger uh, and garlic. Oh, absolutely. Good. And then if you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, who would you pick? Marcus Sotrick. See that? So you couldn't remember off the top of your head the last book you read, but I that know. one you were you know ready what? for. All I could think of in my head was the last Marcus Cedric book I read because I only just met him today, uh-huh. and he's my fav- one of my absolute favorite authors, and his work inspires me so so much. Mm-hmm. In fact, I thanked him at the end of and the truth crept in and yeah. at the end of yes. the book because his work he for me is that author that really makes you think mm-hmm. did you ever read Ghosts of Heaven? I have not oh I, I highly recommend any book that he's written mm-hmm. I mean he, he really gets it Yeah. Um, so all I could think when he asked that question was like okay the last Marcus Sedgwick book I read <laughs> <laughs> um, okay one last question for you yes what do you hope people take away from your books when they're done reading them? I hope that they have an emotional response mm-hmm. that um, stays with them a little bit and uh, if I can make someone think that's great mm-hmm. but at the end of the day I just want them to enjoy it yeah. or not as the case may be if, if you feel terrified then that's okay too Yeah, I fully accept that I collect your screams <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Don, thank you so much for joining us for our librarians and our listeners, as I mentioned at the top. Uh, by the time you hear this, Don's newest book, And the Trees Crept In, will be available for you to read. And I know I say this a lot on the podcast, but read it. It's unbelievable. I cannot yeah. say that enough. So Don, And come you. say hi as well. I collect photos of readers with my book, and I put them in my happy folder. So oh, That's amazing. <laughs> Tweet me. I love talking to you guys. Thank you so much for joining us <laughs> thank today. Thank you for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.